Good morning, church. So one of the things we like to do whenever we start off at the preaching of the word, we like to declare together, I will say Christ is risen, and then all of us together, we will respond and we will say, he is risen indeed. And we do this every Sunday, not just on Resurrection Sunday. So let's go ahead and start this off the right way, shall we? Church, Christ is risen. He is risen Amen. And it's okay to clap our hands at that reality today. We're here today because we serve a resurrected God and a resurrected King. You know, as I walked up on the stage, I was reminded when the psalmist said that when the Lord brought back the captive ones from Zion, we were like those who dreamed. We were like those who dreamed the dreams of God. Our hearts and our mouths were filled with joy and laughter. We began to dream again at the purposes and the promises of God. And as we were in worship, my good friend and my brother behind me, Cedron Smith, he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, he said, Pastor, there's something real special in this house this morning. There's a real special anointing in this place. Oh, yeah. And we recognize that we hold and we steward with open hands the goodness of God, the favor of God, the promises of God, and the blessing of God that he's been weaving our stories together and he's been writing a beautiful and a good story together. So if you are here this morning and you fare from the Austin Bluffs Church people. Would you just lift up your hands? I want to see you today. Come on, lift up our hands. Man. Friends, I want to say personally to every single one of you, no matter how long you've been a part of the Austin Bluffs family, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being a faithful people. Thank you for being a humble and hardworking people. Thank you for being a people that don't leave when things get difficult. Thank you for being a people that keep your grounds immaculate and make a building of this magnitude beautiful. Thank you for being a people that love God with all of your heart and for loving the community around you and for pulling in together and holding things down. Thank you. Thank you for being gracious and hospitable with your space, with the house that you've written scriptures in the sheetrock and on the pillars and on the floors of this house. Yes. I met a man by the name of Bob Olette a couple of weeks ago, and he began walking me through all the different places in this building that he, with his very own hands, he pointed over there and said, Pastor, he said that? He said, I stained that concrete. He said, that stage right there, I helped build that. He says, I was here when we were just a tiny little building up there. We were running five and six services a weekend and running our youth in and out of those services. He says, I've been here for decades. And for all of you who've been a part of Awesome Bluffs Church for decades, I just want to honor you today. Yes. And I want to thank you so much for your diligence and your tenacity and your perseverance. This past week, we've had so many people giving so much time and energy into getting ready. Friends, the work of the Lord happened quickly in this place. Amen. I did a little math, and actually, it all adds up to 49 days, which is seven sevens. I don't know. There might be something in that. But from February the 5th to March the 26th, that's 49 days, seven sevens of the work of the Lord to begin a new work and a new thing. Oh, yeah. For those of you who are part of New Life Midtown, could you raise your hand this morning? I want to see my family. My God, thank you. Thank you guys for being the kind of people that you are, for being a flexible people, for being a people that pull together when things get tough and things get difficult. You've walked us through, you've walked me through 19 years of being your pastor here in this city. 
You've seen me grow up from being a little kid to being a little bit more of a little kid, right? <laughs> you've helped me mature and you've helped me grow and we begin to start a new journey together. And it's a journey of uncertainty, but there's a lot of clarity in the middle of this, that God has made us to be a special kind of people, that God has put a real beautiful and unique DNA inside of us. And I'm looking at faces that have walked me through and I've walked you through a lot of life and a lot of story and a lot of journey. I see you, Elliot. I see you, Mike. I see you. And I just want you to know that our best days and our brightest days are ahead of us. And I honor you. I honor you. I want to say a couple of very special thank yous before we jump into the word today. On behalf of Pastor Brady and all of the elders of New Life, these guys have put in countless hours, meetings after meetings in the span of 49 days. Pastor Brian Newberg and Pastor Lance Coles, these guys have worked overtime helping all the behind the scenes infrastructure, legality, finance, bank accounts, central operations. Just earlier this week on Thursday, we had a crew from our North Facilities team, four young men led by Caleb Newberg who came into this place and outfitted this entire room with 475 chairs. Come on. In fact, they were setting things up, and I had to come back and say, Caleb, would you mind if we could? I'm so sorry. He said, Pastor Jay, don't say sorry. He goes, this is our ministry. This is our joy. This is what we do. We prepare places of encounter. And he says, we don't just set up chairs. We saturate places and spaces with the presence of God, hoping and believing and expecting that God is going to encounter people in these places. So I want you to know that the chair that you're sitting in today has been covered and prayed for by a couple of faithful men who are expecting you to encounter God today in a really powerful way. My brother-in-law, Todd, has been working overtime to make sure that our room's upstairs. He actually created a brand new door so that our safety and our life safety team could look down the hall and make sure that our children are safe. Created a gate up by the stairs, and he's outfitting the executive suite so that our staff can have a good place of order and creativity and design in order for us to minister to the needs of God's people well. And for all of the people, the volunteers and the staff members on both the Midtown and the Austin Bluff side who came in here, Terry helped us uh, cart things off to the big dumpster out there. Martha's father, uh, Ted Carrillo, who's well in his 80s, came this week and helped us move things. And this was the most beautiful thing. He came to me and he said, Pastor, I've helped you move almost every building you've been in for the past 19 years. <laughs> and he said, can this please be the last one? <laughs> And in Jesus' name, I say yes, Ted Carrillo, yes. Guys, this is a special day. As I was waking up early with the Lord this morning, I was just trying to still myself and say, Lord, what, what unique word? I mean, I've got a prepared word, but is there a unique word that you have for the house this morning? And the word very simply that I had was that today is a wedding day. It's a wedding day. And that was beautiful because it allowed me to collaborate or allowed me to kind of calibrate and collaborate with the Holy Ghost. It allowed me to calibrate my heart and my expectation and my imagination around the significance of this day. It's a wedding day. Amen. There's two stories that God has been writing. And in fact, if we go a little bit deeper into the history of these churches, there has actually been three stories that God has been writing. You may not be aware of this, but the church that I fare from 
which was at one point Antioch and prior to that Freedom Church and prior to that Springs Harvest Fellowship, actually began in 1985 as a church pastored by a man named Bob Stinnett, and it was started off as Mountain Shadows Christian Church. That began in 1985, around the same time that Awesome Bluffs Community Church started and New Life's Church started. God was up to something in 1985. There was, a, there was a special grace that was being released in the atmosphere of Colorado Springs. There was an apostolic pioneering anointing that was being released in 1985. That's right. And the same God who writes our story from the end to the beginning, I believe, saw this day. In fact, when we had our serve team meeting this morning right out there in that foyer, Pastor Lance Coles addressed all of our volunteers And he says that God has been weaving together our stories. And while we may not have been aware what he was doing, God knew and God saw this moment. He saw this morning, years ago, when God began to write the story of Mountain Shadows, and God began to write the story of New Life, and God began to write the story of Austin Bluffs. I don't know why he chose to do it this way, but he seemed, it seemed good to him to take these stories and pull them together as one. And I think there's something really powerful there for us to explore. There's an invitation that God has for us. God, why'd you do it that way for us? Lord, show us what you have in store for our lives. But you know, a wedding day is a day of celebration. Uh A wedding day is all about the bride and the groom. A wedding day is about the two becoming one. And I had this funny phrase running through my spirit and my mind all week long. And it was very simply, Lord, what you are putting together, let no man separate. Let no man separate. Let no principality and no authority and no power in heaven or on earth separate what God is putting together. I believe that God is putting something very special and very beautiful together. Today's a wedding day. But perhaps the most important thing about weddings is that God creates something new. And so for those of you who've had decades of experience with Awesome Blossom, those of you who had decades of experience with New Life, and those of you who have had decades of experience with Antioch Church or Freedom Church or Springs Harvest, I want to announce to you today, I want to set our expectations. God's doing something new. We bring the brokenness of our story. We bring the good aspects of our story. God's going to take all those things. He's going to weave them together. He's going to mold them together. And he's going to create something new. And we're going to point to the work of the Lord and say, God, this was something only you could have done. And I want to pray into that. I want to pray into this wedding. I want to pray into this union. I want to pray into the new work that God is doing. And one of the ways I want to do this is by inviting my good friend Daniel Grothy to come on up here if you would. I know you've got a word you're carrying, sir. I didn't know you were going to be here today. But I would love for you to release a prophetic blessing over this house and just speak to the saints this morning what God has put in you today. Give my friend Daniel a hand if you would. It was 49 days ago, I guess, that my wife was walking out of First Wednesday at New Life, and she saw an old friend, Annie. Oh, my goodness. She runs over to Annie, hugs Annie. They started teaching together 18 years ago as 22, 23-year-old women. And Annie was at First Wednesday worshiping, and she said, our church is going to vote this coming Sunday on if we need to sell our building. And Lisa said, I'm so sorry. And it's a sobering time. So they hugged and they prayed. And 
that began the conversation that led to this day. And yes, the Lord bringing stories together, the Lord bringing heritages together, the Lord bring faith together. And so today, would you just open your hands to receive a blessing today as we get started before the word is preached. Lord, we pray today, have your way. Not our will, but your will be done. Not our kingdom, but your kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we speak for this region that all the lonely would be set into families. We pray even right now in the neighborhoods around us that people would feel a shift in the atmosphere. Something's different. <laughs> Lord, when all the stories are that churches don't know how to get together, churches fight, churches are competitive, we thank you that right today, this is a story that that's not true. That the people of God are coming together. And I pray over this place. This church has been going for 40 years almost, Lord. I pray for the next 40. I pray more salvation to be stirred up in Colorado Springs. We pray, Lord, that, that the life of your spirit would be unleashed here. We pray that as people walk in this building, they'd start crying and they don't even know why. Holy tears, that you'd open up hearts in this place. Lord, we pray for more baptisms in this place than we could have ever imagined. We pray, Lord, that the elderly in this place would be honored until their rest. We pray that the youngest ones among us would never know a day when they didn't hear the voice of the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray from the oldest to the youngest in this place, Lord, have your way. And, Lord, we consecrate ourselves to you. We start fresh today. We press reset today. For those who've been following Jesus for 40 years, I pray that you'd get your childlike faith back. For those who are new to this story, I pray that you would grow old in the faith in this place and become mature in this place. But all of us today, we begin to say yes. Would you just begin to say yes to the Lord? Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. Here we are, we're yours. We set ourselves apart. We say yes to what you're doing. And Lord, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, over this new moment and over this fresh gathering of people, I pray may the Lord our God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright smile and countenance upon you and all of your people. And may he grant you his shalom today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor. Before we get into the prepared word, I want to look at Isaiah chapter 43. This is one of the scriptures that the Lord dropped in my heart this morning as I was thinking about this time. Isaiah chapter 43, we're going to look at verse 16, and we're going to proclaim and we're going to prophesy Isaiah 43, verse 16 through 21, over all of our lives together as individuals and families and over this union and over this building. Beginning in verse 16, this is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that Isaiah here is referencing when God delivered the children of Israel out of 400 years of bondage and captivity. And essentially what Isaiah the prophet is doing is he's saying that the same God who delivered you from bondage, the same God who destroyed the powers of Pharaoh, the same God who was able to come into the depths of your darkness, that same God 
is the same God who is speaking over you today. He's a God who's alive. The same delivering God has not changed his character. He's not changed his nature. He's not changed his desire. He's not changed his purposes. The covenant promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob flowing into Moses, going into the kings, Isaiah is announcing, he's reminding us by way of prophetic reminder, this is the same God that we serve today. And then God announces in verse 18, he says, so as a result of my unchanging character, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And some of you might be thinking, well, pastor, there's good things in my past. And God's not saying to not remember the faithfulness of God. In fact, Pastor Jonathan and our congregation at Midtown last week did a masterful job telling us about the theology of remembrance and the spiritual practice of reflection. So there are good things in God that we are to rehearse, but there are things that we are to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to leave them in the hands of God. We are not going to remember those days. We're not going to remember the days of sorrow and shame and captivity. We're going to remember the God who delivers and makes all things new. Verse 19, he goes on to say, see, everybody say, see. see. Not just with our natural eye, although it requires our natural powers of observation to perceive the work of the Lord, but it also requires our spiritual sight, our spiritual perception which means that we have to be walking with God and walking with the Spirit in a place where we can see the things that God is doing around us. Jesus said it like this to the disciples and to the Pharisees. He says, you guys are able to recognize the natural times. You're able to discern the natural seasons. But I'm looking for a people with the spirit of Issachar who have the ability to discern what is God up to in this season of history. We've been saying and we've been announcing this for several weeks now at all of our congregations. God is up to something really peculiar in the earth in this hour right now. It's almost as if in 2020 we began cresting into a form of a heightened spiritual famine and a spiritual drought. And all across the country, I'm seeing posts from pastors and friends of mine who are saying that there's an increase of baptisms and the church doors are being opened more frequently and they're being filled and there is an increase of spiritual hunger. In Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, the scriptures tell us to pray for rain in the time of rain. And I believe that God is doing something special in the earth right now. I'm not going to go as far as to call it revival, but I'm going to believe for revival. I'm going to believe for renewal. I'm going to believe that wayward kids are going to start coming back to God. I'm going to believe that the harvest of hours and decades of prayer over our children, that God is going to make do and make good on them in a moment of time. That marriages are going to be restored by the reconciling power of God because he's doing a new thing. Now, if I'm going to be really honest with you, I come from a faith tradition where we used and we utilized and we might have weaponized and abused this verse a lot. It was almost like every other month was an Isaiah 43 month. Every conference was an Isaiah 43, 18 conference. And it almost gets to the point that if God's doing a new thing, then nothing's a new thing. And so I I kind of abandoned this verse for a while. But this morning, I felt God just drop this into me and say, uh, Jade, I, I I need to take this jadedness and this disillusionment. I need to take this cynicism and this hopelessness off of you. And I need you to get into alignment with me that I'm doing a new thing. And I'm believing that God is doing a new thing in your life, individually, in your singleness, in your pursuit of God, in your purity, in your faith, in your hunger for God, 
that he's awakening something deep inside of you again, that he's doing new things in your children and your parents and your spouses, and that he's doing a new thing in this church. See, I am doing a new thing. Now, now it springs up. There is a suddenly moment that we are in. I don't know if you realize how miraculous it is that two churches became one in a span of 49 days. See, I'm doing a new thing, and now it springs up. Be ready. Be engaged. Don't sit back in cynicism. Don't sit back in hopelessness. Don't sit back in hope deferred. Don't sit back in sorrow. Let, let the grave clothes and the ashes of that past season fall off of you. And allow by the power, the resurrection power of the spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead who dwells in your mortal body, allow him to quicken you so that you can be ready to run into the things that God has for you and for your family and for your story. Do you not perceive it? For I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me. The jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness, refreshment, strength, sustenance, substance, and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people that I have formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Amen. Friends, you were created. You were created. You were put on the earth right now in this now time of history to release a praise that no other person and no other people can release. You were formed to bring praise to God. And I believe that there is gonna be a new kind of praise that comes out of this house. And it's gonna to touch nations and it's gonna to touch generations. Oh, yeah. Let it be in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you grab your Bibles this morning? I'd like for you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter seven. We're gonna be ending our installment today on the Sermon on the Mount. For those of you who are new with us, you can go back, I believe, to the middle of January and you can actually pace with us as we began a journey with Jesus on his most illustrious teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And today we bring that to a close. Next week will be Palm Sunday, which launches us into Holy Week, culminating at Good Friday and friends, in two weeks from today, we get to celebrate together as a new family the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ together. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be beautiful. In December of 2019, while you're there finding your place in Matthew chapter 7, December of 2019, a good friend of mine now, he wasn't a good friend at the time, he was just a colleague in ministry, but he approached me after a Sunday morning service and he said, Jade, would you and Christy ever be interested and joining the New Life family. Pastor Christy and I have a lot of relational history with a lot of the senior leaders that are at New Life, dating all the way back to our time at college at Oral Roberts University. Glenn Packham and I, Jason Jackson and I, John Egan and I, we all lived in the same floor together. A lot of us went to the same classes together. We've got a lot of history in God and a lot of relational friendship that dates all the way back to 1995 through 1999. So on one side of the coin, it was kind of a no-brainer to say, man, God, this might be something really good and really unique and beautiful that you're doing with our churches. There's relational capital. There's relational history. In 2016 and 2017, our church went through its own theological transformation. We began exploring some of the ancient historic practices of the church. 
We looked at restoring the practice of the table on a weekly basis, praying the Lord's Prayer together, reading the scriptures publicly. We began thinking to ourselves, man, maybe there's something that we've been missing on the far extremes of the charismatic arc that we've been on, and we sense that the Lord might be kind of leading us into more of an ancient, historic, liturgical, sacramental expression as the people of God, while not abandoning our charismatic and Pentecostal roots, always being faithful to our evangelical nature to preach the crucified Christ and the need for repentance unto salvation. And there was a good friend of mine, Glenn Packham, I reached out to, and I said, Glenn, You've pioneered this space to hold these three aspects of the church, the sacramental, the charismatic, and the evangelical together. And and what I have seen to be a really good and healthy tension, could you just meet with me and my colleague Jonathan and give us some understanding on that? And he spent several meetings with us and just helped us understand uh, some of the challenges and some of the beautiful benefits of taking that journey of holding these three aspects of the church together. And so when my friend reached out in 2019, again, we had the relational capital, we had the theological agreement and the similarity that resonated with us. And so it kind of seemed like a no-brainer, and yet there was a lot of uncertainty that was in front of us. Christy and I had been senior pastors of Freedom Church in Antioch for nine years up to that point, and we didn't know what we were going to have to lay down. We didn't know if we were going to have to trade in the name of Antioch Church. We didn't know what level of authority that we were going to retain as senior pastors. We didn't know what was going to happen to our staff. Could we still hold on to our long-term missionaries? So many questions. And I remember in a span of three days and 72 hours, I mean, we just spent nonstop conversations saying, do we even want to step out into this journey? Fast forward 15 months later in 2021, we navigated COVID on our own And in 2021, Palm Sunday, one week before Easter, we made it official that we joined the New Life family. A lot of people over the course of that time asked us, why did you do that? You guys were thriving. You guys had a lot of strength and you had a lot of momentum. Antioch had a really beautiful, unique DNA. Why did you make this choice? And there were a couple of good answers that we had given them. We believed that our impact in the city and the nations would be expanded We believed in the camaraderie of having colleagues that were yoked together in the faith and in the work of ministry would be a strength to us and that we could be a strength to them. But friends, let me just tell you, at the end of the day, in the middle of all that uncertainty, what was very clear to us is that this is what Jesus asked. I'll never forget, it was a Wednesday night, it was the first Wednesday of March, and the Lord just kind of stepped into a conversation in my bedroom between Christy and me. And he said, son, you thought this was a decision that you got to make on your own, didn't you? <laughs> like, you, you thought this was actually your church. Like, you thought that you actually had a say in this matter. And he didn't say it. It wasn't, I mean, you know how the Lord speaks. Like, he can convict you and he can rebuke you, but there's never an ounce of condemnation or guilt or shame in it. It's like he can just check you in a way where you snap into alignment and you go, oh my God, like actually, I I thought I did have a say in this. (laughs) And the Lord made it very clear. He said, son, number one, this is my church. This is mine. And number two, this is how he said it to me. He said, son, would you do this for me? Would you do this for me? I'm doing something that you're not gonna understand for a really long time. I'm doing something that's beyond you. 
I'm doing something that's more important than you retaining any measure of authority that you felt like you ever had to begin with. I'm doing something in the spirit realm that is going to shake our region. Would you do this for me? Now, when I'm thinking about that story and I'm thinking about the measure and the immense amount of uncertainty that's involved in that story, it reminds me, friends, that the Christian life is a life of uncertainty. When I think about all the major figures in the scriptures, what I'm reminded of is this, is that God never promised any of those people certainty. A lot of times he'll show up to someone, he'll tap them on the shoulder, and he'll say, Abraham, follow me. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. Okay, great. How's this going to happen, God? I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. When is this going to take place? I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. Okay, great, but have you, take, have you taken a look at my wife, Sarah? I have. And by the way, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. So when God invites us into uncertainty, what we need to focus on is clarity. What is clear in the middle of this uncertainty? And I'd like to propose to all of us today that what is clear and what has always been clear and what will always remain clear is the character and the nature of God. That does not change from eternity to eternity. So even on a personal level, when you find yourself in a place of brokenness or despair or sadness or sorrow, or you feel like there were certain promises that were given to you that they're not panning out the way that you expected, God, I paced my floor and I prayed for my kids and why are they not being who I believe that you showed me that they would be? God's going to give you clarity in the middle of that uncertainty. God never promises to give us details of how things will work out. What he does promise is I will never I will never change. I will always be the same and come lean into me and get clarity of who I am that will bring change into the situation that you find yourself in. In the midst of uncertainty, we look for clarity. I could go through every figure in the scriptures from Moses, the burning bush, turning over. God, what are you doing? I am who I am. I want you to come and I want you to confront Pharaoh, but I don't speak. I am who I am. This is who I am. This doesn't change. I'm going to deliver your people. How are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? Why me? I am who I am. God brings us clarity about his personhood and clarity about his presence in the midst of the uncertainty of the details of life. I'm just going to tell you right now, there's probably a thousand questions that you guys are going to ask me in the next week. And I'm just going to really humbly say, y'all, I don't know. (laughs) But here's what's clear. Here's what's clear is that we've been called to love God and love people deeply. Here's what's clear, that God has not finished writing our story. Here's what's clear, that for this time of history, that we have been put in this city for the sake of this city and beyond. That's clear. I'm thinking about Jesus' final stories, and I'm thinking about his final exhortation in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives us clarity in the middle of uncertainty. And I want to hit on a few of those today, starting here at Matthew chapter 7. Actually, could, could we just back up for a little bit of context? And let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Because the first thing I want to remind you that is clear is that Jesus still calls us to follow him. Amen. Jesus still calls men and women, young and old, to 
be followers and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beginning in Matthew 4 at verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And Jesus walks up to them in verse 19 and he says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, I grew up with the, with the New King James Version. If I'm not mistaken, I think the New King James says, I will make you fishers of men. You see, Jesus is still in the business of invitation and transformation. That has not changed, and it will never change. Jesus essentially says to every single one of us, follow me, and I'm going to make something out of your life. Follow me, and I'm going to bring the change into your life that you can never bring no self-help book, no amount of audible hours, follow me and I will change you. No amount of seminars or conferences, follow me. Transformation is a result of our obedience to Jesus. Following Jesus is the only way to becoming like Jesus. You wanna become more like Jesus and less like yourself, more like the new man, less like the old man, follow Jesus. Make it your chief ambition, your highest desire and goal in life. Jesus, no matter what you say, it's always yes. No matter where you go, I'm going to be right behind you, lockstep, walking with you. Last week, we talked about the fact that God is always on the move. And if you study church history, what you will find is that most of the times when a new iteration of God's movement happens, it's usually a solution to a previously existing problem. But what happens is, is people get comfortable with that place of revelation and God wants to keep moving forward. Jesus, we're gonna follow you. We're gonna follow you into the difficult tensions of this culture. We're gonna follow you into the beautiful spaces of redemption that you wanna bring about in our city and in our lives and in the world. We're gonna follow you. We're gonna say yes to you. And the thing that I'm so encouraged about this morning is I'm looking at a lot of people who have already said yes to Jesus over and over and over and over again. We are still, what is clear is we are still called to radical discipleship and obedience to Jesus. Look with me at Matthew chapter seven. Jesus is rounding the corner here. He is ending the Sermon on the Mountain, beginning in verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and a few find it. Amen. One thing in the middle of our uncertainty that is clear is this, is that following Jesus produces life. Now, I know people say this a lot. Preachers say this a lot. I think, you know, It works to a degree. We like saying these big statements like, there is never a time in history where people need the life of God like now. I mean, I think there are some pretty dark times in history. Some pretty dark seasons. But what I think I can say with some level of confidence is, is that every generation throughout human history has needed the life of God. We were created for the life of God. We hunger, whether we realize it or not, there is a God-shaped vacuum inside of our hearts that looks for and longs for and desires the life of God. It's not difficult to look at a person's life who is flourishing and go, 
I want that. There's something there that is beautiful and good that I desire. I may not know how to get that, but I want that. You don't have to convince me that what I really want is a marriage that is safe and that is faithful and that is pure. That only happens by following the ways of God, mutual humility, mutual submission, faithfulness, saying no to the temptations that are around me. That, that, that's what I really want, and there's a way to get that. And what Jesus is saying right here is he's essentially saying, guys, you can have the life of God, but you cannot have the life of God on your terms. The life of God doesn't come by you choosing your own way. It comes by following me. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, the scripture tells us there is a way that seems right to a person, but the end is death. There's a famous saying that says that the mind will justify what the heart has chosen. You ever met with someone and they're in love and everyone around them knows this is not the right person for you. And yet they will, they will come up with the most creative and imaginative arguments for why this is the person for me. And yet every single human being within their orbit is going, mm, nope, that's not for you. And yet the mind will justify what the heart has chosen. I have seen this in my own life over and over again. And it reminds me of this verse that there is a way that seems right to a person. The scripture also tells us that we don't even know the motives of our own heart. That we need to invite the examination of the Holy Spirit to come in and show us what the real motives of our heart for are, are for the decisions that we make. Because we don't know. And there is a way that seems right to us, but in the end it leads to death. This was the temptation in the garden, is that Adam and Eve... They wanted the life of God and they wanted the character of God and they wanted to be like God, but they wanted to do it on their terms. And Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, if you want the life of God, you have to do it by going through a narrow gate and walking down a narrow path. The life of God is the result of following the ways of God. The second thing that is clear in the midst of this uncertainty is that following Jesus produces fruit. So following Jesus produces life, but also following Jesus produces fruit. You want to be fruitful in your life? You want to experience what many people now are calling the good life? You want to experience flourishing in your life, your business, your classwork, your schoolwork? Jesus says, follow me. And you'll experience a measure of fruitfulness and a measure of abundance in your life that you cannot get any other Wait, look with me, if you would, at Matthew 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. For they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Verse 17, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. So by your fruit, you will recognize them. We don't have time right now to go into all of the many iterations of what this has looked like historically. 
people who carry a measure of spiritual authority, people who are charismatic, people who are eloquent, people who are strong in their character and their nature, yet they're propagating things that are unhealthy for the people of God. That's what Jesus was referring here. He says, pay attention to people's character. Pay attention to who people are behind closed doors. Pay attention to people's consistency. Don't get caught up in people's charisma, their persona. Don't be fooled by that. Watch the hidden consistency of their character in small gatherings and in large. Listen to the way they talk about people. Listen to the way they talk about their personal relationship with God. Listen to the hard decisions that they make in their life in God. The other day I was thinking about this in a particular situation with a person that I was interacting with, and the thought that came to my mind was this. I've never heard this person in the many years that I've known this person ever talk about God convicting them of anything in their life. I think a vibrant and a robust relationship with God will involve a response to the conviction of God in our lives. Like this should be a part of our daily language. Man, God was convicting me of this. God was rebuking me on this. God was calling me higher on this. God was encouraging me to do more, to do better in this area of my life. God God is in the business of maturing us and part of that maturity will bring fruit in our lives. And within the context of the Sermon on the Mount, what I find is that God is speaking or Jesus is speaking to two specific kinds of fruit. The first is, the fruit of obedience. Going on to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. Jesus is saying that the fruit of obedience is what he's after in our relationship with him. And again, going back to what is clear in the midst of uncertainty, number one, following Jesus will produce life. Number two, following Jesus will produce the fruit of obedience in our lives. Everything in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 can all go back to those first verses in verses 3 through 12 in Matthew chapter 5 the Beatitudes. And here's essentially what Jesus is saying. The fruit that I'm looking for is not the fruit of prophecy, although prophecy is good. It's not the fruit of deliverance ministry, although deliverance ministry is good and it's a mark of the kingdom. The fruit I'm looking for are those who are poor in spirit, those who are able to grieve the brokenness of the world, those who are meek. This is the fruit that I'm looking for. Those who are pure in heart and long to see the justice and the truth of God revealed in the earth. Those who are merciful. Those who are peacemakers. This is the fruit that Jesus is referring to. I'm glad that you prophesy. I'm glad you raise your hands. I'm glad that you have experiences in the Holy Spirit. But what I'm looking for is the fruit of the kingdom of God in your life. Friends, would you stand with me this morning? I want to invite our altar team to come up. I want to invite our worship team to come up. And I want to close with Jesus' final story. It's the story of two individuals. One individual Jesus calls foolish and one individual Jesus calls wise. And the clarity in the midst of the uncertainty of following Jesus very simply is this. Friends, that when you and I choose to follow Jesus, it produces longevity. 
All morning long, we've been singing songs about Jesus being our foundation or Jesus being our cornerstone or building our life upon him. And friends, I don't know what our future holds, but here's what I do know. I know that number one, God is calling us to be life givers to our community and to the world around us. I know number two, that God wants the fruit of his kingdom produced out of rootedness in God in our lives. And number three, I know that God wants to produce an enduring people of longevity. God is a generational God. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the God of eternity. He's the God who writes our story from the beginning. He is into longevity and following Jesus will produce a rooted longevity in your life. There is a man who heard the teachings of God and he refused to obey those teachings. And the scripture says that person is like a person who builds their life on the sand. And when the difficulties of life come against that person, come against that marriage, come against that family, come against that calling, they'll fall. But those of us who by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God say, Jesus, help me obey. This is a hard saying, but you have the words of eternal life. This is what Jesus says. That person is like a person who builds their life on an unshakable rock. And when the challenges and the storms of life come against that person, they're going to stand. And I'm here to decree today that we are going to be a people that build our lives individually and collectively on the rock of who Jesus is and on obedience to him. Would you take a moment and pray with me before we come to the table? Holy Spirit of the living God, we're asking you today for help. We're asking today that you would move upon our hearts, our mind, our will, our imagination, our spirit, to be a people that follow you no matter where and no matter what. Lord, we wanna be life givers. And we are clear on this one fact, that following you produces life in us. We want to be fruitful. And we are clear that following you produces fruit in our lives as a people. We want to be a fruitful church. Father, we want the fruit of kindness and the fruit of hospitality. We want the fruit of unity. We want the fruit of goodness, the goodness of God to be so thick in this house that when people walk in, Lord, they are just, they're drawn to who Jesus is. We want the fruit of longevity in New Life Midtown. Lord, that we're not a church that is built on the sand. We're a church that is built on the rock. And God, I declare, Lord Jesus, that we will be a church that is around until you return to call us back together with you. That we will remain faithful to you as you are faithful to us because we covenant today to follow you and as we follow you. You are going to produce an enduring longevity inside of us. Father, let us be a sign and a witness to the world. Let us be a signpost that the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is coming. I pray it today in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, we practice an open table here, which means that every single one of you are welcome to come and receive of the body and the blood of Jesus. I want to invite you to exit on your left. Come forward, receive the body, receive the blood, return to your seat, and we will all partake together. Welcome to the table.